What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday interview edition with friend of the show and friend in real life, Mr. Paul Schneider. Hello. I've got one thing to say to you, Chuck. Oh, boy. And it's this. Looking for a De Niro quote? It's this. I am like God and God like me. I am as large as God. He is as small as I. He cannot above me nor I beneath him be. Silesius, 17th century. Your accent is so much better because you are from North Carolina. It's crazy how bad his is. Yeah, here's the thing. We'll go ahead and talk about the accent in Cape Fear right off Let's the bat. Do it. But I do want to talk about something else before we even talk about the movie. But the accent is something that I had to get over and reckon with over the years. And now I actually like it for its sort of fun B-movie quality. Yeah. But it is by no means an authentic Southern accent. No, I couldn't get over it at the at the first time I saw it. I was I was so um, like aggrieved as yeah. a Southerner. You know, I was like, you know, I was I it's was a like, big deal with us because yeah, it's such a like, hard accent to get right, and we they movies always way 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 overdo it. And not just that, but every Southern, you know, the default Southern character with a Southern accent in all media is an idiot. Yes, you know, he's a clown, mm-hmm. and obviously us and other people like us have a problem with that. Yeah, because um, we're Southern guys and we're, we're <laughs> we have low, fairly smart yeah, exactly. individuals. <laughs> yeah, with, um, with low self-esteem and we just want everybody to, you know, we want to we place at the table. 
How much time have you spent in your life defending this owl? Oh man, in in conversation. You like me? Too too much. Yeah, it's a big thing because it's just like, no, we're not all dumb crackers. Yeah, we can be very progressive. We can be very intelligent. And then I try to give uh, like literary examples to back Uh up myself, and (laughs) I I can't remember anything. I'm like Faulkner, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's our guy. And there's like, uh, okay, and I'm like, you know, Wanamatapia County, all the books. I might even say all the books. Oh, so before we get going on Cape Fear in earnest, uh, you just got finished shooting a motion picture in Louisiana. And as I'm springing this on you, but is it something you can you can talk about or you got to keep it under wraps? Um, who fucking knows? Uh, I never get those emails, but it's it's another, you know, not unlike Cape Fear. It's a, it's a it's a yeah, that's what I thought. A, yeah. Production for Blumhouse. And it kind of has this great pulpy. Mm-hmm. kind of pulpy quality you know it's you know it's sort of an action family adventure but in essence just like this one it's a family that you know has to deal with itself um because of this sort of dangerous um you know because you know they, because of this dangerous you know incident that goes down. yeah yeah we don't want to give anything away you already spoiled it for me privately yeah and I was like, well, thanks a lot, man. I guess I don't need to see it now. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course I'm going to see it. But it sounds like a, a fun little thriller with some good twists and turns. Um, a little little straw dogs oh, element man. to it, which is great. And it did, watching Cape Fear yesterday, I kept thinking, I was like, well, Schneider just did a movie that's not uh, completely unlike this. Because there are some certain themes in Cape Fear that especially I get now more as a father and husband mm-hmm. uh, about the, um, whether it's right or wrong, the pressure a man might put on himself to be a protector and and guys like us probably feeling fairly incapable like Nick Nolte was in this movie of being right. a protector. Yeah, I mean, you know, it. it's funny how the decisions that Sam has made kind of you know, kind of strip him of his power. And the fact that he married Lee, this, you know, very beautiful, very intelligent woman, um, you know, she reminds him of this in these insidious sort of cutting mm. ways all the way yeah. through oh, yeah. the, um, the film. And one thing that I, um, one thing that I read was, you know, Scorsese was interested in making this, if, if in the remake, they pumped up the disintegration of the family mm-hmm. and the deceit and the, the duplicitousness of the family and how much they tear each other apart. And in the, in the DVD extras, the Blu-ray extras, they talked about how, you know, they used Bernard Herrmann's score. Oh, man. I know. So effective. That Elmer Bernstein conducted and arranged, and I'm, you know... I met Elmer Bernstein at, um, in film school when he came oh, wow. to visit. But what they did is they used some of the most, um, like the heaviest, most dramatic uh, pieces of Herman's score in the family scenes, in the family sequences. Yeah. You know, not as Katie is coming after, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, coming after Sam with a pipe. Uh-huh. Or, you know, he un- <laughs> you know is he, you know, breaking into the, the house? It was in these moments of, uh, you know, there's this great moment where Danny, Juliet Lewis, she says, 
She's so goddamn good. Oh man, we th- there's a whole mo- I mean, there's a whole movie crush on her. I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great one of the great sort of I don't want to say kid performances, but like young adult yeah. performances. 100%. Cuz she fits she fits right into the movie, but she's doing something else that's insane. You know, she's like she's like um she's like an extremely well-trained actor. And a mm-hmm. completely non-actor all at the same time. Yeah. What are you saying about her, though? I, I, I cut you off, and you had a relevant point about her. Oh, so there was... I was noticing last night when I watched it again that, you know, these juxtapositions between, you know, li- you know what, what's happening on... You know, what's happening in the character or the narrative. Yeah. And what happens in the camera. Uh-huh. So Danny says, I thought we were supposed to be relaxed now. And as, right. as the camera is like charging towards her at a hundred miles an hour uh-huh. and um, yeah, you know, there's that scene at the dinner table when Sam is saying, you know, they hired Joe Don Baker as a private eye and he's like, yeah, you know, I think this guy's really going to work out. You know, he seems to yeah. be really enjoying it. And then the phone rings right, and, and they all everyone jump jumps. out of their skin. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments. Oh, and man. Danny too is the one. She's the one, the first one later in the, mo- in the movie at the climax in that last amazing sequence that we'll get to in depth later. But uh, she's the first one that immediately has the instinct to try and manipulate his sexuality and his emotions yeah. right off the bat, man. She's the first one that's like, you know, I thought we, we had this connection. Or no, 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 yeah. uh, Jessica Lange talks about the connection, but she's talking about reading Nexus yeah right right yeah she's like i read that thing you know like let's connect on that like you know which part and like right away this girl is the one that's leading the charge while dad's tied up outside and jessica lang is at first just understandably completely freaked out and she uses language it was something like he says something like you know did you read all of those parts and she says yeah i read those parts as if they're they're talking about something that lee and sam don't know about Yeah. yeah 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 um and it's like she, in this weird way, she like curls under his wing to sort of, to, you know, to fool him, to, uh, to try to get, get, you know, find a chink in his armor. Um, and of course, there's not one. It doesn't work. But, but it, it's funny. Both of those women are so crafty, I yeah. would say, like cunning and crafty in the way that they are, you know, trying to, to, to beat Max. And the way Sam goes about it is like caveman. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a pejorative. I mean, like, literally, he's trying to smash his head with a rock. Yeah, that's the only thing he knows to do because he just makes a series after series of missteps and dealing and trying to handle this as the husband. Uh, whether it's and, and handle guys it to- like as the lawyer. <laughs> yeah. But, well, yeah, exactly. And, and maybe, you know, maybe his journey in the story is to get back to a fuck, to be a fucking caveman and like sort yeah. of reclaim his monkey maleness, you know? And like, yeah. cause he certainly doesn't have that all the way through the movie, you know? No. And then, uh, uh, Sam or not Sam, uh, can't remember Jessica Lange's character name. All Lee, of a Lee. Yeah. Lee. Oh man. That monologue at the end when she's, chain handcuffed to the thing and oh breaking down and saying the things that you know will you just do those things to me and not her it's it's 
like I used, I love this movie in college. We watched it a lot, and I saw it many, many times back then. But this is the first time I've seen it in many years, and certainly since I've been a father and maybe even a husband. But that shit wrecked me mm-hmm. this time seeing yeah. that scene. Jessica Lange is so good. She, she should have been nominated. Of, yeah. I'm so mad that she didn't. Juliette Lewis was, to her credit, which is great, nominated for an Oscar for supporting actress and lost to Mercedes Rule for Fisher King, which yeah. is another favorite performance of mine. So it's really hard to, and awards are all dumb anyway, but uh, it, just the acting in this movie across the board is just amazing. And she's sort of, path- and Jessica Lang sort of pathetically pulls at, yeah. at the strap, or, or not the strap, but like sort of the, the top of her Blouse. shirt yeah. as this like, kind of like pathetic or luring, like, mm-hmm. please do this with me, you know, and she kind of refers back to the time when she was putting on lipstick after she and Sam had made love and she was looking yeah. out at this, you know, this blue screen, uh, Max Katie. Yeah. But I want to, I want to talk about one thing that st- I, I was blown away by this when I saw it a couple months ago and this time too is the speed of the narrative. And I wrote this mm-hmm. down. I mean, I, 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 you know, I paused and rewound and I wrote this all down. So this is what we know in six minutes. Mm-hmm. We know about the existence of Cape Fear being a dreamy, dangerous place. Mm-hmm. We know that Max Cady has been released from prison and he's not an idiot because he read mm-hmm. all his books. Already we know read that, him. Yeah, already <laughs> read him. <laughs> Love it. And we know that Danny relates more to Graciela, the housekeeper, than she does mm-hmm. her mother or family. Yeah. We know that Lee is a graphic designer who loves her dog more than her daughter. And or in my opinion, probably. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And in my opinion, you know, she the fact that her character is this artsy smoker, mm-hmm. like to me, it also tells me that she doesn't want to be a wife or mother anymore. Yeah. And then we set up Sam as a lawyer who traffics in a world of privilege and favors mm-hmm. because he gets the judge uh, to push the alimony hearing of Fred Thompson's daughter. Mm-hmm. And finally, we get a t- taste of Katie in a small way terrorizing the family at the movie theater watching Problem Child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what one of the, the great fuck? scenes that silhouette man and, and those. The, the character the, choices, the, the big fat, the, oh my yeah, god, the bikini lighter, that big, humongously fat cigar. Uh, uh, there's so many, and I know De Niro is really, as are most actors, and I'd love to get your perspective on this too. When it comes to picking props and wardrobe and stuff like that, I know that he is meticulous and known for like trying on fifty jackets until he finds the right one. Like, what is that like for you as an actor when you get into that? Um, it, it really is. I mean, it really depends on whether or not you're Robert De Niro. Um, like having the opportunity to, or having the power to, okay. Um, hopefully you have a director, um, hopefully you have a director and a costume designer and a makeup department who's able to collaborate and kind of confident enough to collaborate. Right. And, you know, sometimes you walk into a situation where they're, you know, they're hemming and hawing and they kind of want to give you a little bit of, of room, but they basically have all your clothes picked out. Right. And for me, I just want someone to say like, Hey dude, um, you know, this is what I've got picked out. So can we talk about this instead Mm -hmm. of kind of like letting you, you know, like kind of letting you go a little bit and coming up with ideas that, you know, they're going to shut the door on. 
Right. It's like just like fucking placating you. Yeah, just fucking tell me. You know, they had this idea that actors are this artsy fartsy lot who can't, you know, who are too sensitive and can't take, you know, can't take decisions or can't take notes. Um, yeah, can't take notes. Um, but I just don't. You know, I don't feel that way. You know, if I feel like somebody's not going to collaborate, I just won't do their movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it 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 it's really hit or miss depending on who you're working with. And it really sucks because most of the time they want they cast you because they want to um, kind of dress you in the clothes of the movie they last saw you in. Oh, interesting. Because they they cast you as that guy, right? Right. And so I end up wearing the same brown shoes every fucking movie I do. <laughs> really? Yeah. But then you have people like Jane Campion and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, like in, in clothes I've never worn before. or Right. Period you know, piece, obviously. Exactly. But who can see? Who can see past? You know the last character you played. Does getting um, in that wardrobe is that a real important thing to you, or is it just kind of part of everything? If it's specific enough, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and if it's a period piece, shit, man, it like it does the acting for it's everything. you. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And apparently, um, he apparently De Niro was like working out, you know, at night, and they shot all the stuff where he takes his shirt off towards the end of production. So he could oh, be as, you know, max cut. <laughs> yeah. N- lowest BMI or something. Dude. I remember seeing this in the theater. Or I think I probably did see it in the theater in college. Um, and that first reveal of him in the cell. Yeah. When he's got that long slick back hair and his body is just chiseled out of fucking stone with those tattoos, man. And that back tattoo with that big cross it's like intimidation overload right off the bat and just so effective. And, and like it, it had to be that way. And the, uh, and it was sort of like pre everyone has a tattoo. Yeah. 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 And for like it was shock, shocking level of tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for two like ex, uh, youth group, you know, church youth yeah. group kids, all those <laughs> Bible verses were like, I know extra. Like, what? Yeah. They hit me and you probably harder. Just like the uh-huh. exorcist hit me and you harder, you know, yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> like this is, this is really not what my mom wants me to be near. Um, uh. <laughs> yeah. He was just crazy. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast, How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. 
Papertarians know that it's the smart choice too, because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource, and paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, and you know, we can jump all over the place, but I would like to talk a little bit about Scorsese's methods here and uh, just what a wild movie he made mm-hmm. with the, um, with with the changing the the film stock to the to the negative, yeah, the negative, and then these washes of color, and then from negative back to color, and those sequences where it would just sort of flow and drift back and forth, and blue screen. It's, and yeah. diopters and jump cuts and unmotivated camera and also everything is in it like he really yeah. didn't hold anything back well i was thinking to myself like this is a movie that celebrates the fact that it's a movie i mean it's a pulpy yeah. over yeah. the top neo noir cartoon and if people watch it trying to you know trying to uh, watch like a super a super serious you know tight you know uh, suspense thriller well, this isn't, this isn't bad. It's not super serious. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, it's not even reality. No, no. Tethered almost like I have in here somewhere in my notes. It's a real movie movie. Yeah. It's got this, it's got this heightened sense of reality and it doesn't feel like real life. It feels just off. It feels like a bad dream. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in, in the way that he, when they do the strip search scene, you have these like Ugh. sort of like Nazi adjacent uh-huh. Uh, tattoos you know he's got yeah. these these thunderbolts that are kind of like stormtrooper thunderbolts yeah and yeah. then these the, obviously the bible yeah old testament tattoos and then he takes off his pants and he's wearing like silk bikini briefs yeah the red leopard skin briefs. yeah like, that was such an interesting choice you, you know like i sometimes i talk to uh, filmmakers or directors you know when we're making something and i'm telling them like guys let's go for broke you know like We can always take something out. We can't put anything in. Like, let's put everything in. Um, And obviously for this one, they put everything in. You know, he celebrates the fact that it's a, it's a movie movie. And I mean, I look at it the same way that I look at, at Lawrence of Arabia. Like to me, Lawrence of Arabia is a cartoon. Uh Like if I see it as a cartoon, I can really enjoy it. If I'm picking through the, you know, if I've got Wikipedia open and I'm trying to fact check, you know, it's just not, it's not that. Um, I think the tone is set like that, that opening uh, sequence where it shows him in prison, getting released from prison, you know, he's got nobody coming for him. And that shot of him leaving the prison with that storm coming Mm -hmm. in the background 
and he walks straight up to camera and yeah. basically, you know, that's the film school one-on-one thing where they're like, don't ever do that shot where you, what? it's such a tropey like film student shot, but Scorsese did it and you get the feeling it's just like, he's laying it all out there right there with that shot. It's like, mm-hmm. just buckle up everyone. Cause this is a monster movie. And it's a little bit like this film I love called a Christmas tale. Um, uh, um, with Chiara Mastriani and Catherine Deneuve and a whole bunch of other people. Um, and the guy, uh, uh, Arnaud Desplechin, I don't know how to say his last name, but that's what I think it is. He, he, right off the bat, he uses every filmic technique, mm-hmm. almost as if to, you know, almost as if to completely sort of level you in terms of your expectations. Yeah. Set so, the table. Yeah. So if I could, if I do everything within the first five minutes, then you can't sort of bitch or moan about anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like you could get up and leave right now if this isn't your bag. Yeah, exactly. Because this is what we're going to do here, everybody. <laughs> and the difference is, is that these guys, you know, Freddie Francis, obviously, but like these guys are doing this, you know, in film school, they were like, make sure all your camera movements are motivated, you know, <laughs> yeah. make sure your lighting is natural, you know? Like uh-huh. Sam and Lee are, are Sam and Lee are having sex in that one scene, and there's like the fire. Why are there fireworks? I don't know, man. I thought the same thing. I never questioned it until last night or yesterday afternoon when I watched it. But man, it looks fucking awesome. It That's does. Why. I, I I mean, I understand that it's July Fourth or whatever. There's that scene, but it's not July Fourth on that day, right? I mean, and where I, are they? They're living in. I know they shot it in Florida, but this is. Um, just the setting of this film, the sort of low country of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're from the Carolinas, and I'm sure that, and I know for a fact because we talked about it, that that whole sort of low country, outer Banksy <laughs> vibe is so appealing and so evocative and can be so creepy. And it's such a great setting for a movie like this. Totally. I mean, it's, it's what, yeah, obviously, it's what David Lynch locked onto in Blue Velvet. Right. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, these, these guys are using all the tropes, but the fact that they know what they're doing, and obviously Thelma Schoonmacher, Schoonmacher. Yeah, um, legend. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, these people are doing all the silly things, but it's just that they really know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. doing all the silly things and, and they're the best at it. So they're kind of like, they know all the rules so they can break them kind of thing. Yeah, but, she really, she's the editor, for those of you who don't know, she's was... Scorsese's editor for a long time and just a legend of the business and really had her work cut out for her in this film. But also I imagine it was probably a lot of fun to edit this movie. Totally. I mean, because, because it's, it's a fable mm-hmm. and it yeah. doesn't, you know, it's a like big bad wolf. Yeah, exactly. And it, I feel, I mean, exactly. And the scene with Juliette Lewis, yeah. um, which is fascinating now when we're, when we're living in sort of like the me too, me too moment. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you create those electric, um, you know, upsetting, yeah. um, you know, physical, sexual moments as an yeah. actor? Um, I mean, obviously there are ways to do that, but when when I was watching the scene again, where I mean, the whole point of that of that scene, the whole the reason why it's so electric is that obviously De Niro didn't tell Juliet Juliet Lewis he was going to put his thumb in her mouth. And oh, he he didn't. No, no, oh, man. And that... she t- she talks about that. I mean, first of all, that's one of the most. You know, it's like for to, for me, it's like fifty percent very um, uh, um, disturbing, and uh-huh. also fifty percent sort of as an actor, fifty percent like 
holy shit, how effective. Oh, yeah. I mean, that whole scene is, I mean, it's one of the iconic scenes in movie history now, I think, is that drama department scene. Mm-hmm. Um, she's so good in it. The way she plays that so innocently. And so, like, the way, I even noticed the way she, after he kissed her, she was 18 at the time of filming. Obviously, still very creepy stuff to do, but they had and, to be And sure looks young. Looks age, but, super young. Yeah, but looked 15 or 16, sure. which is what she played. Um, the way that after he kissed her, oh God, it still just gives me the chills thinking about that because it was so fucking creepy. Um, and he just bolts. Mm-hmm. And the way she played that, that yeah. unnerved high school, like kind of looked around like, did anyone just see that or yeah. what did I just do? And yeah. she ran out of there kind of upset, but kind of thrilled. It was all there, man. And just like face acting and, and the way she ran out of there. Yeah, her t- uh, her shoes were probably like sort of pointed at each other. I think she yeah. like <laughs> she like pulled her uh, you know her shirt down a little bit and uh, yeah, yeah. It's like that's you can't teach that. No, and it was so instinctual. And in like. the in the in the the DVD extra the DVD extras, Juliette Lewis talks about that being like one of her most uh, uh, satisfying acting experiences. You know, I bet. Sure. And she just was really into the electricity of it, you know, and she was uh, into the, you know, without a netness of it, you know, and the, the, this yeah. idea that anything can happen. And and it did. Um, but, you know, how yeah. do you how do you create that in a world of um, in a world of rightfully in a world of consent when we have to create moments right. of um, of danger? Yeah, I mean, it would certainly be a, a, a much more controversial scene to even put in a movie these days. And a modern uh, scene like that, the uh, it was a different time. You know, the girl probably wouldn't put herself in that position, uh-uh. rightfully. And But, you know, he had set it up all the night before. He called her on the phone, established that bond, made her laugh a little bit, kind of was like, I'll be there for you because I know your parents. They don't get you. So it's all there, and I think that hits home of why Max Cady in this movie was so threatening was that he didn't get out of prison and go to Sam's office and shoot him in the head. Mm -mm. He had this plan to terrorize this family. Yeah. And that's so much scarier than just getting out of jail and going in uh, revenge killing your attorney. And he, you know, I I was really struck this time around – when uh you know when they talked about he has that line where he says to sam you're going to learn about loss and i was thinking about this so yeah basically all three of them lose something mm-hmm. danny is going to is going to lose her ideal mother which is graciella mm-hmm. lee innocence. is going to lose her ideal friend which is benjamin the dog mm-hmm. and sam is going to lose his ideal wife which is Elena Douglas, his, you know, his coworker. We meet, yeah. you know, we meet them. They're both wearing white. They both are sexually attracted to each other. They are uh-huh. interested in the same things. They love racquetball. They love the law. Like, well, and it's light. It's fun. It's right. not like this. His marriage at that point was this uh, difficult thing where you know you learn later. I love the way they parse out the backstory too. Like. You can tell very early on that Lee has no respect for him no. in, in his work or as a man or in husband and father, but you really don't kind of get why until they parse it out later on in that great scene 
where you learn that he cheated years ago in mm-hmm. Atlanta and that's why they left and that's why they moved. And um, I, I think it was really smart to hold on to that fact a little bit and just show her her contempt that you know is there, but you're not quite sure why. And she says, you know, and she says at the beginning, you know, in that first six minutes, she has, you know, she reveals um, these interesting kind of, you know, she reveals something about Sam where, where, you know, they're talking to, you know, Danny is like, ah, you should have punched that guy. And um, Lee says, yeah, Sam, you know how to fight dirty. You do it. You do it for a living. Yeah. There's a lot of little jabs like that. Yeah. And it's just the accumulation of those jabs are, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And the fact that he is so emasculated yeah, and because he's so emasculated, I think it's right that he uses the rock at the end. You know, it's right that he, you know, is that kind of primordial, you know, Avenger at the end. Because all through yeah. the movie, he's such a joke. You know, yeah, he's supposed to be this whip smart lawyer, but every time he turns around, his house is being infiltrated. And mm-hmm. then when he, when he goes on the attack, what happens? You know, Lee Heller. He, uh, you know. Um, uh, didn't you, you know, Max Cady hires Lee Heller. Yeah. He says, no, this is going to be a con- conflict of interest. He says, why? He's like, well, you know, Max Cady has employed me as his defense attorney. And he's yeah, like, what? Man. And every time, you know, like he hired, he goes along with Joe Don Baker and he hires a couple thugs to try to be, you know, and that goes straight to hell. And that then, scene and is great, man. Katie beats the shit out of them. Yeah. That scene is such a, such a tense scene because Nolte, he makes, he's always just fucking up, man. He makes so many mistakes. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have been there to see it happen. Uh, but he does. He wants to see him be, get beat down. And then, you know, Katie's superhuman at this point. He is a, he is a monster mm-hmm. because these guys, three guys beat him with chains and that steel bat uh, o- over the head multiple times. And he's still coming back. And uh, the one scene, that, the, the one part of that scene that bothered me, that always bothered me, was when he kicks that can, makes the noise and freezes, and you know, could you be there? Mm-hmm. And he, he approaches, and then the ending of that scene, I think there was no way out of it that made sense. So De Niro just goes, "Ah, oh, fuck it. What's the matter if you do here? If you are here?" And he walks away. Right. And that that really bugged me because. But then I started thinking last night. I was like, "But how do you get out of that scene?" Yeah, you can't. I mean, I mean, I mean, like if he came around the dumpster. And, uh, and it was revealed that Sam had sort of like scurried away, uh-huh. you know, sort of expertly scurried away. That wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't, but man, it would give, it would give, you know, it would really throw Sam's character a bone, you know? I don't <laughs> know if that would be good or bad, but at that point he would feel yeah. like, but maybe, you know, maybe at that point of the movie, he, we need Sam to be as weak as possible. You know, he's chugging yeah. he's borrowing lee's cigarettes and he's chugging his wife's cigarettes at home yeah you know? and he's right. he's being forced to um to duck under all the windows uh-huh when yeah da- you know we're not supposed to stand up dad right exactly <laughs> and in fact i was noticing last night there's um there's a scene the first sort of the it, it's an early first long scene between katie and and sam when uh max is in his uh mustang yeah and he talks about um you know, Sam offers him money. He says, what about uh-huh. $10,000? And then Max does the math and realizes that oh, it's like God. 10 bucks a day. Oh, he just totally eviscerates him. Right. And, and um, it's funny, through that whole scene, behind, uh, uh, behind Sam's head is the word discount. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, 
from that store? <laughs> there's a store, yeah, there's like a banner for a store and it just says something, something discount. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, no accidents. No, not at all. These people, yeah, these, this Scorsese team, these people are not, you know, even if it's not conscious, these people are not making mistakes. Yeah, it's interesting. That, and the, I think the only bone that Sam finally gets from, uh, from Lee, from Jessica Lang, is that after they had been through everything and they were finally on the boat, she has not built him up at all or given him any breaks about anything, not that he deserved it, uh, is when he says that he's going to go fishing the next day. And she goes, and it was a really great character moment. She says, you know, you know, we got enough food to last us a week. Why are you going to do that? And then she kind of catches herself and she goes, cause you know that she knows that he needs to catch the fish to mm -hmm. provide for the family. Mm -hmm. Like he's a frontiersman. And she goes, well, I think that'd be really nice. Right. And that one little moment, man, she gives him in the whole fucking movie. And it's just so key to me that she felt the need to like, like, man, I've been beating this guy up. We, he has literally been beaten up over the course of this movie, and uh, I've got to give him some shot of self-esteem, even if that's just, sure, husband, go catch the fish. You know, and she, you know, like, she, he did betray her for sure, and obviously I'm not advocating infidelity, but the truth is, like, I, I think after a certain period of time, like, he doesn't deserve it in the sense that she's destroying herself in the process. You know? Yeah, if you can't truly forgive, then you should get divorced. Right, then she needs to get the fuck out. But she's, yeah. you know, she's kind of, she's ruining herself by staying there in this awful situation. And and you're right, as far as character development goes, she needs to throw him that bone because we have to see them. There has to be a glimmer of hope at the end. Um, and it's interesting because all these trappings of suburbia, all these trappings of, you know, professional success and, you know, mm -hmm. all these, you know, friends, family, whomever, everything gets stripped away and they're, they're just laying in the mud on the, uh, on the, you know, on the, the river's edge, you know, and yeah. the, the rain is sort of like completely fogging and drenched Sam's glasses. And they're yeah. kind of, you know, they're kind of like this family trio at the most, you know, in the most, you know, molecular sense. Yeah. And they have to start, you know, start over. And I don't know if you saw the, the DVD extras, but um, oh. Scorsese talks about that scene. There's a shot of Lee after she's been, you know, she and Danny have been sort of thrown from the boat and they, I guess they've um, sort of sw swam, swam, swam. Sure. Swimmed. They swimmed. Um, over to the 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 shore, the river the riverbank, and Sam and Max are kind of in the last throes of their their manly yeah. battle. And um, once everything's sort of sort of done, and Katie goes down with the with that piece of the boat, or we mm -hmm. think he goes down with the piece of the boat. Yeah, that nice little shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, she's left in the mud, and she's mm -hmm. she's there by herself. And in the shot, she picks herself up out of the mud. Yeah. Um, and in the DVD extras, they were explaining that that was actually a reversed shot. Oh, interesting. In, in reality, she was laying herself down into the mud. Mm -hmm. But Scorsese wanted this, just the very slight sort of uncanny kind of yeah. otherness to, yeah, that, yeah. to that shot. And I went and rewatched it and I was like, man, these fucking guys. It's so subtle, but like so cool. They just... 
you know, and who knows if that was a choice. I'm always fascinated. Like, is that a choice in pre-production? Is it a choice in production or is it a choice in post? I bet it's post. It might be post. Yeah. But I think, I think, you know, I think, you know, if you've got all the people firing on all the cylinders, um, these things don't have to be conscious, you know, they're just making decisions and later on they will mean things. But in the moment, we don't know what they mean, but they're the right thing to do. Yeah. There's also a, uh, there's also a moral question at the heart of this story that when I saw this in college 12 times, I I just, I never even thought about it, but there is a real moral question about a defense attorney bearing a report. Mm Mm-hmm of promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's the whole central focus of this movie is the fact that Max Katie went to prison for 14 years and maybe didn't have to, because there was a report that showed that the victim, uh, his rape victim had been, uh, I think had like two or three, at least two or three sexual partners in the last month. And it's, you know, Joe Don Baker or not Joe Don Baker. Who was the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or no, Fred not, Thompson. Fred Thompson is the one it's like you buried the report. I hate that. You I buried hate that the report. Part. I Do hate, you really? Yes, I can't stand it. I feel like I, I feel like the reason why is because I feel like th- this, you know, fictional uh, uh, this fictional girl's promiscuity obviously has zero to do with whether or not she deserves to be raped. Well, of course, and, and that's what Nick Nolte finally gets to say that at the end, right? He's like, just because she was promiscuous doesn't mean she deserved what you did to her, right? But Fred so really Thompson not- <laughs> can't, you know, Fred Thompson can't, you know, he can't sort of at least say to him like, man, uh, that was, uh, you fucked up, but. I get it. No, you're right. He comes down on a really hard moral judgment. <laughs> and and for, as a really moral question, there really is no question, obviously, except for the fact that you are entitled due process in this country and an attorney to represent your best interests like no matter what like he does go against that code it, rightfully so i would have done the same thing right but it is interesting to kind of pick pick out a little bit it's it's um yeah it's funny how how max as capable and intelligent and cunning as he is he doesn't latch on to the idea that um there's a gray area there Right. He only he's he's so you know intensely focused on how he had been wronged, but he mm-hmm. you know of all the things he understands about human nature, he doesn't understand the part about human nature where he thinks, "Oh wait a second, this is actually something that someone would do." Yeah. Um, but of course that's you know that's because he was pro- you know he's on that side of the he, he's on that side of the gun. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's such a diabolical plan too that De Niro has. It's, you know, he starts with the dog and then he moves on to the mistress in one of the most brutal assault scenes in movie history. Yeah. Hard to watch. Very. Um, and Ileana Douglas is so great. I've always been such a big fan of hers. Yep. And she's really great in this movie, but the scene in the bar beforehand is just like panic inducing almost because you know what he is. She doesn't know what he is. And she's drinking at the bar and you see it coming and it's just, it's a tough scene to watch, but he moves to the mistress, then to the daughter, then to the wife. Uh, and then ultimately to, to Nolte is his, he's, he's going to be the final guy because 
he wants him to see all this other shit happening. Right. And he gets, you know, he, he gets, he, he gets in there in such, um, I mean, it's funny that there's, you know, uh, underneath all this wild sort of neon colored, bright, poppy, you know, the costume choices are so corny and ridiculous, you know, his, yeah. De Niro's stupid mirrored glasses and his stupid white little cap Danish little captain's hat. hat. <laughs> like these are ridiculous things on, on the top. And then below, it's a pretty brilliant, you know, efficient script where, you know, he gets, you know, he gets through to, um, to Lee by explaining how um, Sam had betrayed them both. Mm-hmm. And so they're both wrong. They're both on this side of Sam. And obviously, um, he he locks into Juliette Lewis's, uh, you know, her distance that she feels, and and the feel the fact that she feels so misunderstood by her family. Mm-hmm. And even when they're trying to, you know, even when Sam is trying to relate, to protect, to, um, you know, to protect Danny, there's that scene that ah, it just kills me. He goes into her room, and she's. I think she might be talking on the phone. She hangs up the phone. And she's wearing these like short, uh, no, no, actually she's wearing her underwear. She's in her underwear. He tells her to put clothes on, Yeah, he says, come on, you know, you're not a kid anymore. And she's popping gum and being a teenager, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he goes in there and he asks her, um, well, I can't remember the reason he went in in the first place, but they get onto the topic of, you know, did he, did he touch you? Yeah. And she kind of brushes him off and he comes closer and he's like, no, no, did, did, did he touch you? And, Mm -hmm. and it sort of builds to the point where, Sam has got his hands on her mouth yeah, and he's crushing her head into the bedboard Mm -hmm. or the the headboard of the bed. And, and then he, he finds himself and he kind of backs up a little bit. I think he tries to like fix her hair maybe. And he's like, sorry. So, you know, and he leaves the room and then she screams like, get out of here, get out of here. And this family, like it can't, I mean, it can't, it just keeps on stepping in shit. These people, you know, Sam, especially, he just can't get anything right. Well, yeah, because he's he treats her like she's dumb and a kid. And because there's that one scene where he and Lee start to really go at it and he sees Danny walk up the stairs and he's like, oh, everything's fine, honey. Right. And she's you know, that's the worst parent move. Because <laughs> kids fucking know, man, I grew up in a house with parents who were in a 25 year fight. <laughs> and like kids aren't stupid and to have parents be like oh everything's okay that that's just that's just uh it makes it makes it all worse that's for them and, De- and yeah that's for it totally is, that's for them and that's when de niro sweeps in and gives her agency and treats her as an adult and that's how he he charms her to begin with on that first the phone call and then when he's hanging upside down like a vampire like bat. A bat yes yeah <laughs> i noticed so that this great. time like a vampire bat. It was such a cool decision to put him in those gravity boots or whatever. And he, you know, in the, in the Ileana Douglas scene, and I wonder, was Scorsese dating Ileana Douglas at the time? They either were dating at the time or they started dating after this. Right. It was right around that time, though, I think. Because, you know, in that scene at the bar, um, for some reason it's super creepy that Max is always drinking water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Evian, he's her in the, oh yeah, yeah. He's like the Evian in the in the Mustang and everything. But well, because he, he's so disciplined, 
Yeah. He's got the discipline to read those, teach himself to read and to do the 10,000 sit-ups a day and to not drink and to always be clear-headed. Uh, I also think that was a really clever setup with um, th- that he bites her cheek in that brutal scene uh. because that comes back later. That's what partially what makes the scene with Juliette Lewis so unnerving when he starts kissing her. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, he's going to bite her tongue off. He's yeah. going to bite her tongue off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is so effective, and he doesn't, which is a great little filmmaker trick to build up something that doesn't really happen. And, and, and in both of those scenes, um, not, in the, not in the biting Ileana's face scene, which I think it's something they weren't going to do, and they threw it in there. And that was, you know, that's something that I, I'm always pushing on directors. I'm like, guys, you know, like this is... <laughs> Like this is, you know, we don't have a hundred million dollars. Let's put, yeah. let's throw everything at this, you know? Like yeah. the only thing we have is the ability to, to make this script and do things narratively that no one's ever mm. seen. We don't yeah. have David Fincher money to make this, you know, and, you know, and Emmanuel Lubezki kind of, you know, visual masterpiece. So you've got to throw that silly shit in there. And, and, and if it doesn't work, then take it out. But you were asking about the, the costume and, and the costume and yeah. the hair and makeup choices. And in the scene with Ileana at the bar, and also in the scene, um, the, the big bad wolf scene in the, mm-hmm. in the school auditorium, De Niro looks really good. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's kind of feathered his hair back. His hair looks yeah. Amazing. It's not grease back. Oh, it's dry. No, yeah, and he's you know I don't know what he's you know he's I don't know, gotten a, a bit of an extra tan, but he just he's really handsome in those scenes. Yeah. Um, and that you know that uh, that kind of bait and switch where he says, um, you know, I actually was uh, uh, I was in a Georgia State Penitentiary. Yeah. And you're I like, oh you're shit, here. you know the the yeah. the jig is up. And he talks about an anti, you know, anti-nuclear oh, power man. plant. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, he saved a little old lady, basically, yeah. who got shoved around by a cop. Yeah, and so he popped in oh, one, God. and they gave him three years. <laughs> yeah, so, like, brutally manipulative and brilliant. And, and, and as soon as that happened, you're like, oh, shit, man. Yeah, and as soon as that happens, Ileana's like, um, I'm drinking sea breezes. I hope you can afford them. Yeah. And she's, she's in, you know? Yeah, the one thing that I wondered about yesterday that I had never considered is what a big risk that was for him because he, by all intents and purposes, should have been back in prison for a very long time after that brutal assault. And he took a really big risk on her banking on her not saying anything. And Nolte kind of mentions it later. Like, I think he, he knew that she knew the system and stuff, but... Yeah, still a very, very big risk that he took by going that far. You know, they could have fixed that. You know, the, they could have fixed that a little bit by saying, you know, he knew that she wasn't going to testify, that she was going to, you know, that she was going to get on the stand and get grilled. And right. Lee could say, you know, Lee could say, yeah, I don't know what she, her response would be. And then Sam's response could be, well, he's also a fucking monster who likes to rape. You know, like, yeah, you know, there's, you know, like it's you know, Katie is cold and calculating and pays for everyone's lunch when no one knows he's there. Right. But, but also he's a guy who, you know, raped and assaulted people. And, yeah. 
you know, regardless of however many crunches he does every day, there's still part of him that that's that big bad wolf. That's that, you know, I mean, I think you're right. Like in the story, you know, in the script, it's a little bit flimsy, I guess, when he says, oh, he made, he took this big risk because he absolutely knew that she wasn't going to testify. I mean, right. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a little bit flimsy right there, but in, you know, but sort of beyond the script in me thinking about him, I like the fact that he's, you know, he just can't help himself. You know, he's, yeah, he is a monster. And, yeah. uh, uh, you mentioned the buying people, uh, they're paying for their dinners and stuff. The, <laughs> it reminds me of that scene with Joe Don Baker where he was tailing him and he paid for his lunch or whatever. And, uh, what a great scene that was because Joe Don Baker, I mean, this is such a movie about the male identity and uh-huh. masculinity and what that must mean because, Nolte is trying to be this protector. He thinks he needs a gun. He doesn't even know how to, he's so ill-equipped to protect his family and he knows it. Max Katie is the quote unquote real man. Joe Don Baker is a real man and he's always got it figured out. He, you know, that scene with he and Katie after that lunch is so great where he's trying to tough guy him and Katie's just like, fuck you, man. Yeah. He's like, you don't know who you're talking to asshole. And he says something like, um, Oh, you know, were, were you a cop? Or maybe you couldn't hack it as a cop. That's I, the line. <laughs> That's where he completely fucking cuts his Achilles. And it's funny. Joe Don Baker is all, ever since the living daylights, I've always seen his, his act, his, you know, I've seen that actor as like somebody who's, who's big and blustery, but uh-huh. he's, he's not going to win. He, it, you know, yeah. it, essentially he's, <laughs> um, he's not capable Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. I mean, we haven't even talked about the, the greatest sequence, you know, that, that, um, that concludes with Sam slipping in, you know, Graciela's blood. Um, yeah. So, all right, let me start at the beginning there then, because that scene ties into what I was going to say about Joe Don Baker is he always thinks he's got it figured out. Right. At first it's, we can hire a couple of guys. You won't be hearing from him anymore after this. They're also ill-equipped to deal with this monster. And then when he starts out that sequence where they're doing the overnight, Sam fakes like he's going out of town. So the house is empty, supposedly, or not empty, but he's not there. And he ties that fucking teddy bear up with the, the I mean, per- fishing line. Perfect. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know if the Holy ghost is trying to get in here. I got my little six shooter, you know, snub nose cop special. I like, mean, not just that, but they totally use, gonna work. They, and they use the teddy bear. Essentially they're, they're, um, they're uh, strangling the teddy bear with monofilament yeah. <laughs> line. Oh, I didn't even really ever think about and, that. And you know, that foreshadows the piano wire. Yeah. 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 But he just thinks he's got it all under control. Totally. Like every man in this movie thinks they have it all under control. And Katie's really the only one with any control ever. And uh, yeah, it culminates. And, you know, they set up, you, of course, after seeing this multiple times and you see the housekeeper earlier on, you're like, it looks a lot like De Niro from behind. Yeah. You know, what's funny, Chuck, I realized when I was watching this, I mean, I watched it again last night, but um, Graciela is the second character that we see on film. Oh, at the very beginning. Yep, right when right when uh, Katie walks into the camera in that kind of cheeseball film school thing that they uh-huh. tell you not to do, but it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's a scene where we, you know, we go and we establish the outside of. Um, I might not have this sort of visually verbatim, but we establish the outside of the the Bowden house, and then mm-hmm. a car pulls up, and there's actually a shot on the on the driveway, and Graciela's foot steps into the shot uh-huh. and the camera um and I, I can't remember it either tilts up i think it booms up to her face as she looks up um at the house and then mm-hmm. danny comes out and says como esta yeah yeah but like but graciela looks up at the house a couple beats too long and the camera stays on her a couple beats too long almost as if to say that this is going to be a huge character in this movie which yeah it, i mean kind of she is but not really and I just thought, man, that is that's that's really ballsy to to put a lot of weight on on this character. And obviously, he's trying to really weight this. You know, he's trying to really um, heighten the stakes. So yeah. you've got this character in a single, and not just a single, but a single that that booms up. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Benjamin, a single of the dog underneath Lee's uh, drafting table. Uh-huh. And then. Um, it's not exactly a single, but when we meet Ileana Douglas, it's in that really um, kind of handheld, crazy, you know, fast cutting. The racquetball? Right. Yeah. And so we see all these characters in, you know, isolated singles. You know, like this movie is saying, like, the, you watch these people, you know, watch yeah. these two people and this dog. 
And obviously, we don't know this at the time, but they're sacrificial lambs. Yeah, all three of them. And, and each person is, I mean, if you think about it, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking about this now. Like, I'm thinking about the reaction of Danny when Graciela dies. She freaks yes. the fuck out. Yeah. Um, and, and Lee's reaction to Benjamin dying and she and and Bowden, Sam says, well, I told you not to let him out. And she says, I didn't fucking let him out. Yeah, and she's she, already in the house. Yeah, she freaks She freaks out about that. I mean, again, all rightfully, all appropriately. And right. then, of course, Sam, it's funny, his reaction to Ileana Douglas's rape and assault um, is, you know, I mean, obviously, I think he has a lot to, um, you know, I think he feels very deeply about her being hurt, but. You know, we see um, each character's kind of silent uh, response to the thing they truly wanted being, mm-hmm. you know, obliterated. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and obviously, you know, he's hanging on, he's establishing the, uh, uh, was it Graciana? Gra- Graciela. Graciela. He's establishing her early on, too, just because that pays off later. So, I mean, when De Niro's dressed up as her. So you really got to at least know what she looks like from behind yep. and what her hair looks like and what she's dressed like. And that's, that's one of the great reveals, man, in, in movie history, when she turns around and it's him. Uh, it's just, I, I like, I got chills in my arms now thinking about it and I've seen the movie a dozen times and it gets me every single time. And the setup with the piano wire being gone, mm-hmm. it's all just expertly like puzzled together. And to me, it's better than, the face skin reveal of silence of the lambs. Oh God, that's so good too though. You know, I, I mean, for me, I'll take, uh, I think it's because of the hair, but we should tell the listeners that. So Joe Don Baker has this big plan to absolutely catch, you know, yeah. catch Max Katie. And the whole plan is that they're going to use the family as bait to lure uh, Katie in. So yeah. Joe Don Baker in his kind of like blustery, overconfident way strings a fishing line all over the doors and windows because he uh-huh. thinks he's going to, you know, um, uh, he's going to see the bear move because mm-hmm. the line, the fishing line is wrapped around the bear's uh, uh, neck. So he sits there all night drinking his, you know, scotch and Pepto-Bismol mixture, mm-hmm. holding his gun. And the whole idea about the scene is that he, um, uh, he goes in the uh the kitchen he's you know we see graciela in her pink you know maid's outfit and her black hair he says something to graciela and of course graciela turns around and it's in you know it's revealed to be bob de niro or max katie and of course he gets he strangles the fucking shit out of joe don baker with the piano wire yeah and joe don baker falls to the floor um, Max. Well, Katie. he the gun goes off. He shoots himself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, because that's where all the blood came from. Right, and De Niro kind of guides the in the struggle. He kind of guides the gun. Yeah, in, back to him. Yeah, in Joe Don Baker's direction, and then of course the Bowdens wake up, and they find you know like um, uh, Max Katie's gone. They find Joe Don Baker. Um, they find Graciela, and in the melee. Um, of trying to call the cops or call the ambulance or whatever, Sam <laughs> sl- <laughs> slips and falls on, you know, on the blood in this pool of blood that's covering the linoleum. <laughs> One of the great decisions in any movie ever, right, was, was to not just have that reveal and be, and that be what the scene is, 
but to have him slip in the blood and then Lee come over trying to help him out and falling all over in the blood. It's yeah. a very kind of goofy slapstick thing, but it's so visceral and like um, hard to watch. Cause you're, you're just, they're just covered in this fresh, warm blood. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden it turns into a fucking horror show. At it that does. Point. And this is the, I think this is the power of the auteur director um, these days, everything is so watered down because we have to, you know, movies are so expensive where you have to reach like the biggest, broadest fan base. We have to reach, yeah. you know, ages 12 through 50 and we can't be specific and we can't be, um, we can't be, uh, dangerous or evocative or, um, or we can't take chances. And that right yeah. there is an insane chance, you know? Yeah. I just saw, uh, <laughs> You know, another round last night, the Mads Mikkelsen that won the Oscar. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. that good? Oh, man. the I had the best time watching it. I thought awesome. it was amazing. Can't and, wait. Yeah, and then obviously Thomas Vinterberg is another auteur, he's, and he's saying, no, I'm going to do this. And the choices yeah. are really specific, and either you like it or you don't. And the ability in movies these days to either like something or not yeah. is, is getting, you know it's it's sort of getting farther and it's 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 rarer these days and most of the time the response is eh but right. I, you know i don't want eh i want no, oh i hated worst. it or yeah. i loved it yeah. but so many films these days are just kind of they're trying to succeed by not failing right and yeah by not offending or not failing not offending not failing you know um I, you know, I see on movie sets all the time, you know, certain producers that are not good producers, they're so concerned that something will be too weird or somebody won't understand right. something or we need to over explain something or the dialogue yeah. needs to be, you know, too much exposition. It's the worst. And, and the thing, once you do that, you lose all the moments that you and I are talking about. Yeah. I mean, that blood slip scene, I mean, this is a movie made up of, uh, very iconic images and disturbing images uh, that you're looking at with your eyes. I mean, there's a lot of disturbing themes, of course, and themes and and lines here and there, but it's really some of these images that really are what stick with you. And to me, there, there's that one, and the other one that really gets me every time is that reveal that he's fucking strapped underneath that Jeep Cherokee. Oh, my God. Such a great reveal because they're finally... Nolte finally makes one good decision, right? which is to get on that houseboat and go out on the river, which is, it's a creepy looking place. And that's the whole deal with the Cape Fear River. And she talks about that, you know, and everything like that. And it's called Cape Fear. Uh, but you're ostensibly, ostensibly safe out on a boat on the water because there's nothing around you. You can see everything. He can't get to you there. But he's strapped underneath that Cherokee, and it's just—it's just one of the great reveals. And this is when, and it really is. And this is when um, Bowden Sam is trying to is is really trying to take some forward, you know, like make some forward yeah. movement. Force majeure. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> all bets are off. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> and that was another thing, you know. They there was some discussion, apparently some discussion on set about whether or not that would be possible. And you can tell in the shot that they lifted the Jeep Cherokee a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. They yeah, lifted sure. the sp- suspension. But, Get him um, some more clearance. Yeah, and apparently they tried it with a stuntman, and it, was, it, it worked. And then they went for it. But, like, that, that part, you know, that reveal, 
um, the, the blood slipping in the blood, uh, mm-hmm. you know, biting half of Ileana Douglas's face off and sticking his thumb in Juliette Lewis's uh, mouth. Yeah. These are Those all, are the images. yeah, these are all, um, these are all beats in the script that in my experience, I've seen nervous directors and nervous producers want to, uh, um, th- you know, think very hard about maybe losing. Yeah, uh, it's to this or to that or to this or somebody would be offended. Yeah, that must or be frustrating. Oh, it's so frustrating, especially when, you know, would Cape Fear still be a great movie without those things? It would, except, mm-hmm. uh, you know, except it's like a meal, you know, a, a meal that you and I both love. Slowly, great ingredients are being taken mm-hmm. out of this gorgeous meal that we're ready to eat. You know, this filmic meal, and after a while, you you know, you lose those those images and those ingredients and the specificity of these movies are, are lost in the process. Yeah. I mean, if you think of anyone who loves this movie, if you said name the first five things that you think of in Cape fear, the first five images, it will be the thumb in the mouth. Yeah. Probably slipping in blood. Maybe the, the reveal of uh, hanging underneath the car, but you know, those are the moments that like, yeah, you can't lose that shit. Yeah, and 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 if they truly remember the movie you're talking about, if they truly remember Cape Fear, they mm-hmm. will say exactly the thumb in the mouth as the number one. Yeah, yeah, they, like that. To me, that's like the the takeaway. And then obviously you remember other things, but like that's maybe the face biting. That really? I mean, that's so disturbing, and it was so over the top. The way the, and he the way he spit Spits it out it too. Out, right. It was, uh, but yeah, I would say the thumb in the mouth. That's the most disturbing moment in the movie because there's so much tension there. You have no idea what he's got up his sleeves. And further down the line um, is Max Cady, his his burned and deformed face on yeah. the um, on the houseboat. And one thing I love about Danny's character is that uh-huh. Danny is a deadbeat. She's, yeah. she's a pot smoke. Like she's not, I think I, I actually haven't, I started watching the original and didn't like it and stopped it. And oh, really? The, uh, I've never seen it. Yeah. The kid in that movie is sort of like kind of the stock character of like, you know, the kind of the, um, you know, kind of the good kid. Uh-huh. And Danny's such a deadbeat, you know, she smokes pot. She's kind of dumb. Like her mom asks her what, you know, the, the girls uh, in the parade who are dancing by with their, um, you know, swinging their batons and everything else. Um, are those, the, is that what they're called? Those batons you swing between your fingers? Yeah, batons. Batons, right. Okay. The the, the drill team or whatever. Right, right. Like silver, yeah. a silver shaft and two uh-huh. white balls <laughs> yeah. on the end. It's a baton. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. It just didn't sound right? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, I, I need to get up on all this daughter shit yeah, um, yeah but but you know lee says to danny oh danny you could have you could have done that why didn't you go uh-huh. out and try out for that and she goes oh i don't know <laughs> yeah and, and it's <laughs> she's got nothing you know she's got nothing she goes to this drama class she doesn't know what she's doing you know yeah she's constantly like good point you know complaining to her friend on the phone because she's in this you know she's in this you know whirlwind of a sh- you know shitty family life but then in the end in in my opinion the most um the most sort of uh exacting violent capable moment of attack it comes from her yeah she's the one oh, yeah. that slips the 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 um 
you know, the lighter, uh, fluid. the lighter fluid in her skirt or something, wherever she hides it. And, oh, actually, when she's locked in that little, yeah, she's locked in yeah, that little. Yeah, the first thing she does is light a match and starts looking around. Yep. She she picks up that screwdriver or whatever and it's like thumbs it. It's like, no, it's too dull. Throws that away. And then gets that Ronson lighter fluid and stuffs right. it in her the front of her, her shorts. And uh, like I said, she's the one from the beginning that starts to try and manipulate him. She's thinking faster than anyone else on that Any, boat. Anyone else. And, uh, you know, of course he lights that cigar. That's, you know, you don't question stuff like that in a movie. No. It's like, well, what if, what if he never lit that cigar? It's like, well, he did. Yeah. So that's all that matters. Another yet another great payoff because he does it so many times in the movie. Uh, and man, when she lights him on fire and he jumps out there, like no part of you seeing that movie thinks that that's the end of the movie. No, like you know that that's not going to be it. And you're right when he comes back and his face and his hairline is receded by several inches. Mm-hmm. You know he's got a lot more forehead in that scene because his hair has been singed back. And it's a it's so a wide creepy. shot, you know. Uh, Danny's on the table in the boat, yeah. And Katie's leaning up against the sink, and then she squirts that the lighter fluid across the room. He goes up in flame, and if I'm not mistaken, Danny says, "I got him! I got him! I got yeah. him!" And it, I mean, you're right. Like here's this kid who's basically sort of a dullard the entire movie. She's kind of yeah. like roaming around, sort of, kind of being upset and sort of being slow. Yeah, and here, she's a teenager. yeah, here she is on this, you know, in this one moment of crisis, and she's like, she turns into the ninja. Yeah, and that's when the movie, like, from that point on, it, I mean, this is a movie that escalates and escalates and escalates toward like genre style stuff, and then when he comes back on that boat, with that face, it is all bets are off. It is a full on horror freak show, right? For the last eight minutes or whatever is left in the movie while the storm rages outside yeah man and there's this when she talks about cape fear in you know there's that uh-huh you know juliet lewis's danny is looking straight at the camera at the beginning yeah. you know she talks about cape fear and at the end it pays off because it bookends where she's talking in front of the class um but we we see cape fear as this like this place of dread yeah because she talks about it and then it's gone. We don't know anything mm-hmm. about Cape Fear. We don't hear about it. We don't yeah. know anything about it until uh-huh. the end. And it's yeah, back again. Um, you know, Danny is, you know, she definitely becomes the ninja in that scene. Uh-huh. Uh, Lee tries to kind of, uh, kind of, you know. Misdirect him. Yeah, misdirect him with her sexual prowess or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Sam wants to, you know, take the rock and bash his head in. And it should be noted that Sam doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hit his head. No. But, you know, the tide sort of drags Katie's body out right, right as the rock comes down and he misses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have always had a problem with the speaking in tongues. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, all right, hold on a second. Let's, <laughs> I, I want to get there. That's at the very end. Let's, um, let's talk about that ridiculous and ridiculously great in every way sequence where the boat c- c- caves in on itself. Oh yeah. It hits that rock. <laughs> oh, the, the, the miniatures are horrible. It's amazing. It, I mean, this is sort of a B movie in some ways and a sort of an homage to Hitchcock and B movies and, and movie movies. So I don't think it was trying to mm-hmm. be like the most realistic thing, but I mean, I, I still think that part looks amazing. And, and well, then it's the a whole, C, it's a C movie. At, when, when they yeah. get into the miniatures, it's a C movie. <laughs> 
and I love it. But when Katie gets back on finally at the end and he's putting Sam on trial and breaking the fourth wall and looking at the camera mm-hmm. and, you know, acting as if the camera is the judge and that he is the litigator, that's when the movie is just goes to 11. Oh, it's yeah. just off off the rails crazy at that point. Uh, and it culminates in the speaking in tongues, I think. I think it was all BC movie build up to that moment. And you still have a problem with it? <laughs> I mean, look, I, the, the good thing that those guys do is that they kind of, they set everything up at the beginning and, you know, they, they give you a movie right in the first six minutes. I mean, look, they, they give, in the first six minutes, they give you a lighter of a girl's boobs, you know, like a, the lighter uh, that, that Katie uses to, to light yeah. his, you know, it's like a naked chick lighter, yeah. you know, from a gas station in 1985. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, once they do that, yeah, they can go anywhere they want. Um, And definitely by the time they get into the, you know, the kind of the fake trial uh, scene, um, you know, script wise, you know, all the other stuff that's going, you know, going bananas, you know, with your production design and your editing and your, this athletic camera. Running the film backwards and forwards, all that stuff. It's crazy. By that time we were already there. So the table has already been set for what becomes, in my mind, the kind of the most extreme script moment, which Mm. is the fucking, which is this crazy trial. Um, Oh man. And, and when he grabs Sam by the back of the hair and, you know, and, and when Sam is uh, handcuffed behind his, you know, his hands are handcuffed behind his back and he grabs him by the back of the hair and, and pulls him through that window yeah. and Nick Nolte, Nick Nolte just bounces on all this teak, you know, this like teak uh, yeah. boat furniture. <laughs> I just thought, oh my God, man, these guys are, um, but again, you know, the, 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 the miniatures, which I, which they shot in England, um, they're terrible. They look terrible. And yeah, I mean, it's fun though. <laughs> it's, that, that's and and I think the fact that they're um, embracing this artificiality. That's those are the movies I love. I love yeah. the the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Mm, love it. You know, I love all this stuff that is. You know, I, I'm not interested in. Um, you know, I'm not always interested in realism. I don't want to look out yeah. my window and see a movie. I want to like look into somebody's imagination and see that movie. Yeah. It is interesting though. In that trial scene is kind of over the top as it is. That's where you kind of get that key moment where Nolte finally says it. Yes. I buried the report. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, that's where it's finally laid out there at the very, very end of the movie. And you were my lawyer. You were supposed to represent me. Yeah, right. Just because she was promiscuous doesn't mean she deserved to be raped. I mean, that's that's it. That's that moral quandary in a nutshell at the very end. Um, and, you know, that's just prior to the boat implosion. Uh, it, it also leads to the funny uh, fight scene on the beach at the end when they're just slugging the shit out of each other. <laughs> yeah. And one of my, my favorite lines still is... Uh, I believe you're well within 500 yards, counselor. <laughs> I mean, there's, if you... It's, it's so over the top. Uh, yeah, if you go back and you you can't... Even, I mean, the, half of Katie's dialogue you can't understand because of his accent, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, his stuff with, with Joe Don Baker is... Um, well, you've got me shaking all over. 
<laughs> yeah. And there's when when Sam comes across, he sort of uh, bolts across the uh, the the parade and grabs you know grabs Katie because Katie's looking at his wife. Um, uh, you know, at one point, Katie says um, in his defense, he said, "I ain't pranking on you. Mm-hmm. I'm not pranking on you. Like yeah. what the fuck?" <laughs> And when, yeah, and when, and when Sam is going nuts on this guy, uh, on Katie, there's this shot that I'll always remember. I don't know why it's just buried in my consciousness, but there's a shot of this kid Uh in on the float and they're recreating, yeah, they're recreating the, yeah, exactly. So Uh they're recreating the time life photograph of Iwo Jima. And this one kid, you know, who's kind of, he's, he's meant to be staying completely still as the, uh, you know, the, the parade moves by. Um, Sam is going so nuts. And so, you know, he's kind of, yeah, he's going so nuts there. This kid breaks his Iwo Jima character and just looks down at him. As it's if a to, really weird shot. It is. It's like, what? What? why are we on this kid, you know? I remember that shot, too. Every time I see that movie, I'm like, why did he insert that shot? It's a really interesting thing to leave in there. Yeah. And there's that great part, too, where De Niro's like, well, watch my arm, watch my arm. It might be broken. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like Sam has backfired again. Like, everything he does just turns to shit. And the roles are, the roles are constantly being reversed where he's the bad guy. Completely. And, and I think... I need to um, I need to wrap it up because my wife needs to, to to leave the house. But I I want to say that it's those moments of um, those out of context moments, those moments where we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Those are a lot of the moments that we remember forever. And this yeah. and this constant push of you know that we're living in this like numbers world. You know we're living in a world of algorithms make sense and sort of A plus B equals C world. And mm-hmm. the truth is, it's those, those moments of, uh, you know, complete randomness. You know, those moments that we truly do have no idea why they left that shot of that kid in there. I mean, yeah. you know, plenty of people saw the edit and they were like, "What's what's the deal there? Yeah. <laughs> people are going to be confused. Why could confu- well, that's a bad thing." And uh, what I say to them is like, "Why is confusion a bad thing? This is a right. B movie, neo noir, crazy big bad wolf movie. Like, we should yeah. all be confused a little bit." Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think we did it, dude. You think? Yeah. I mean, I only had one or two more points. The weird stigmata, Christ figure stigmata at the end. Yeah. That he wa- washes his hands away. I'm not sure how to unpack that. Oh, that's, and it also, yeah. uh, it also bugged me that he was washing his hands instead of immediately running and looking for his wife and daughter. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, yesterday, ba- I was like, baby what steps. the fuck is he doing? Baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> Sam will get there. Yeah. And I am glad they didn't show them... You know, a, a worse, uh, a lesser director would have, the last shot of the movie would have been the three of them living together with a new puppy that looks just like the old dog mm-hmm. and, and living happily ever after somewhere. But he didn't do that. That's that's the tropey ending. He ended with Juliette Lewis with that great sort of bookended monologue about choosing life. Uh, and, the, and the film goes negative again. And this is like, we're out. And she even says the end, I think, right? The fairy tale is over. Yeah, and I just love that that a character that it, I, I just love that it's not Sam. Yeah, I love that yeah. it's not Sam and it's not Lee and it's not Max bookending yeah. this thing. It's it's kind of her story in a lot of ways. It's it's kind of her story in a lot of ways. Yeah, go Juliet, good stuff, man.
Go Juliet. Man, uh, thanks it. for doing this and thanks for wedging this in. I know we had a hard time with the scheduling, but uh, no, this don't was worry as, about it. As fun as I hoped it would be. Great movie. It's and, a great uh, movie, and I, I, I really love. I hear that baby. That shit. Oh yeah, go be a dad. Oh yeah, I got to go be a dad. But it, I'll tell you one thing: it's really great to rewatch these things with Movie Crush in mind because it ma- yeah, right? Movie Crush makes these things makes uh-huh. me see them in a really brand new kind of more analytical way, yeah. and I love it. It's fun. I'm glad you're enjoying it too, my friend. I am, buddy. All right, see you later. All right, I'm going to go move to Cape Fear literally in about a month. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, dude. See you, man. Movie Crush is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.